Alhamdulillah, it's good to see everybody. Sorry for the late uh, time change, but for this week and the next week we'll be starting like 6, 6.15, uh, inshallah, and then going back to uh, a regular time uh, after the next few weeks, inshallah. Uh, we stopped uh, sort of um, in some important verses in Surah Yasin where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala suddenly um, switches the kind of narrative and it says أَلَمْ يَرَوْ كَمْ أَهْلَكْنَا قَبَلَهُمْ مِنَ الْقُرُونِ أَنَّهُمْ إِلَيْهِمْ لَا يَرْجِعُونَ And we, we noted how the meaning of the verse is will they not think, will they not look at the large numbers of generations of communities that came before him, before them uh, that were destroyed by divine intervention and that have never returned, like there's no semblance of these communities left. Uh, we noted that it's interesting that after talking about the city and how it was destroyed, how these people failed to obey their messengers, the tense goes back now to addressing the people of Mecca. As if to say, like, there's a relationship between this Prophet والسلام, that's been sent to you and the stories of these people who came before you and that they ultimately let, met some type of destruction and that if you don't also uh, take into consideration the situation, then you may also meet a similar fate. Something else that's being alluded to here subtly that's not uh, explicitly stated and that is that if you think about it, they're constantly being asked to use their knowledge. Like, look at this, look at this, think about this, look at this. They're not being told like, you have to believe. They're not being told like, you know, you guys are idiots. They're being told indirectly, and we noted here that they're not even being spoken to in the first tense. They're being addressed in a way which is like, we talked about like, really wearing thick velvet gloves. Alam yaro. It's not saying, alam taro. Did you not see? It's like, they didn't see. To kind of like, appeal to them in a way that shows like, not trying to shame you, not trying to bring you down, we're not trying to embarrass you in front of others, like we, we genuinely care about you. So the message is one of concern, and the message is, is one which is not compromising, but it has ethics, but that, then it employs their ability to use their what? To use their mind and to think about what's being said. And for those of you who took me last year class, we said that the first obligation is to what? Is to think. Ibn Ashir, he said in his poem, it's a poem that we learn uh, in the Maliki school that goes over like some of the important uh, obligatory acts. The first obligation upon a person is to think, to utilize their, their intellect. And that's why when people enter hellfire in Sultan Muk, they will say, لَوْ كُنَّ أَوْ نَسْمَعُ Like, we wish like we had thought we wish that we had taken some time to put our intellect into this. The other points that we made about this verse are like four. Um, 
Number one, we said, why suddenly is they, they meaning the people of Mecca. We just talked about that. Number two, come. The word come is used to uh, emphasize something is large in number, but it's ambiguous. So like it's a lot. Come ahlakna, like how many? Very similar to you, came before you, were strong, had tremendous political, military strength, economic prowess, but ultimately met their destruction. So don't get it twisted and think you're special. Um, and then it says, وَإِن كُلُّ لَمَّا جَمِيعُ لَدَيْنَا مُحْضَرُونَ And we noted that this verse means in every one of those communities that came before you, the people of Mecca, will all be presented in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we noted also a few, a few points from that. And that is that although they may have came from different social backgrounds, economic backgrounds, different communities, different types of blessings they were granted, in front of Allah, they'll all be mahdarun. In front of God, everyone will stand the same. And also, it, it alludes to something interesting, that after death, there's something else. And, and he, here we, we take uh, a lesson like, we're going to talk about that a little bit today, inshallah. The care and deliberate nature of like how the Qur'an teaches people. And at times it's like really, really very, very smooth. فَمُحْضَرُونَ <laughs> means like they will be presented. There's another meaning to muhdarun, which is kind of frightening, which means they're being presented to God right now. It's the active participle. Anta muhdir, you, you are present at this moment. As though to say, the deeds and everything that they've done, every action that they're undertaking at this moment, the judgment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so certain, it is though their actions are being judged now. And that's why sometimes death is used in the active participle. إِنَّكَ مَيِّتٌ إِنَّكَ مَيِّتٌ وَإِنَّهُمْ مَيِّتٌ You're already dead and they're already dead. As if to say like this is a fact. As if to try to wake people up. But there is a subtle point. And that is that the verse is saying, After death, وَإِن كُلُّ لَمَّا جَمِيعُ لَدَيْنَا مُحْضَرُونَ That after death, every single one of them can we maybe put something to hold the door? So like, thank you. Um, every single one of them will be presented. And that alludes to what we believe is called Yawm Al-Akhir, Awal Akhirah. Al-Akhirah doesn't just mean the Day of Judgment. Belief in the Akhirah means that everything that happens after the moment of death and beyond falls under what's called Al-Akhirah. And we know that there were a large number of people in, in in the time of the Prophet who denied a life after death. And in fact, like that's easy, that kind of excuses me from responsibility. I can just get rich or die trying. I can just go by the mantra that the ends justify the means. There was a poet, he said, uh, he said, you know, like if we died and after death, like we're, we're left for nothing, we're just dead. 
Rahat kulli hayin. Then mot will be a blessing for everybody. Like death will be a blessing. Like if all that happens, we die, khalas. And nothing happens after death. Then I can just live like I want to live my life. Sayyidina Umar used to say, If it wasn't for what happens after death, people would act differently. He says, But the fact is that when we die, we're going to be resurrected. And after that, we're going to be asked and presented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when it says, it implies that after death, there's going to be resurrection. And after resurrection, there's going to be questioning. So on and so forth. And that takes us to the next verse, verse number 33. Where suddenly it says, وَآيَةُ لَهُمُ الْأَرْضُ مَيْتَةُ أَحْيَيْنَاهَا وَأَخْرَجَنِ مِنْهَا حَبًّا فَمِنْهُ يَأْكُلُونَ And a sign for them is the dead earth. What's the, what we call al-munasabah, or the munasib, what is the correlation between this verse and the verse that just came before it? And that's how we should be reading the Qur'an sometimes. And it's okay like to have that kind of explorative relationship with the Qur'an. Unfortunately, sometimes, and this is a problem, how we framed our relationship with revelation, and this is one of the kind of outcomes of the current age of hypercynicism. Like, there's no good in anybody. And to be honest with you, it's the neoliberal left that pushed this more than anyone else, and it came back to bite them through this populist president now, who used that kind of message to galvanize the dead south. So it's like, you know, why get involved? The, there's no, I can't trust anybody. The world around me is a disaster. The masajid are bad. The imams are bad. The people who pray next to me are bad. The politicians are bad. The world's bad. Khalas. So what I'm going to do? Just say everything's bad. MashaAllah. One time, Sheikh, Sheikh, Sheikh Al-Akbar, Ibn Arabi, the great Sufi, he was in Mecca, and he said, I met the most ignorant human being I've ever met in my life. And he said, I met this man who had a group of followers. He wrote this in Futuhat al-Makiyya. And I went to this man and I said, wow, like you must be a scholar. You must be some incredibly famous saint that you have like people following you. But in fact, he was ahmaq, like the most ignorant person I've ever met. And they said, why? He said, because I asked him, what is it that you teach people? And he says, I taught them, he said, I taught them, la khayra ala wajil ard qatiban. I taught them that there's no good left in life. You should be cynical about everything. Sheikh al-Akbar, he said, this is the most ignorant human being I've ever met in my life. Because madam Allahu mawjood, as long as Allah exists, there will be khayr, alhamdulillah. And Allah la nihayata lahu, Allah has no ending. So here we see something, man that the Qur'an employs these people to like think and invest themselves and it uses a method of instruction which is very profound. So after death and after someone dies As if to say perhaps you don't believe in life after death. 
perhaps there's no reason you feel to live for something because of an age of hypercynicism or hypermaterialism or just straight up kufr, USDA approved kufr. Then look at the earth. And that's why the verse says, وَآيَةُ لَهُمْ The word lamb means for, and it means a benefit. Talked about this a lot. Usually the, lamb, the word lamb, it means like a benefit. كُنْتُمْ خَيْرَ أُمَّةٍ أُخْرِجَتْ لِنَاسِ Like you're the best community sent for the benefit of people. So here it means a sign for them, exclusively for their benefit, is the earth which was dead. أَحْيَيْنَاهَا We brought it to life. So now, as I said earlier, when you're reading the Qur'an, you know, you can try sometimes to stop and ask yourself, like what's the correlation between this verse, the verse that came before it? What's the correlation between this chapter and the chapter that comes after it? Right, it's okay, alhamdulillah, like people do, what if I change Islam? Like hashtag you're not that important. Like, you ain't gonna change Islam, man. But we've created a, a construction and a framing of our relationship with revelation. This is an outcome of postmodernity, man. Of cynicism and fear. Whereas like our relationship with revelation should be one of freedom. And and we'll talk about this. We have a seminar next month on a poem written by Sheikh Abdul Fat Al Busti Anwan Al Hikam. He says Clinging to the rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with your hands, the Qur'an. Because it's a pillar when all other pillars are going to leave you. But if our experiences in life with teachers or figures that you know, may have power around us has been one of intimidation, it's very difficult to like reframe our relationship with revelation. And that's a problem, man. So one of the things like, you know, we tell some of the imams and, and faith leaders that we work with is like, love people to the Qur'an, man. Don't intimidate them to the Qur'an. No doubt there's some times where, you know, we need to be intimidated or we need to be reminded or rebuked, but not to the point that it leads to cynicism. It leads to cynicism. And it causes people to give up. When the Prophet wasallam one time advised his community until they, until they started crying and he left them. This hadith is in Riyadh al-Salihin from Imam al-Tirmidhi. You know, Anas ibn Malik said, like, we, we never wept like we wept on that day. And unfortunately, that's where the hadith stops in, in the narration of a nawi in Riyadh al-Salihin. You should remember this. Sometimes if you hear a hadith or something that doesn't set well with you, it's perfectly acceptable to ask your teacher questions. It's not a sign that I respect an imam or a teacher that I don't ask them questions out of respect. That's intimidation. But respect and love is I feel empowered enough by the educator and I trust that person enough that I know even if I differ with them lightly, you know, I can ask them. That's like a liberating feeling, man. And that they're not going to troll me if they ask me, if I ask them something I don't know. And vice versa. So the narration in Riyadh Salihin actually stops there. And we have a principle in Hadith that says if you narrate a narration, you have to make sure that you narrate the complete narration. If you only narrate like part of it, then you may fail to encapsulate like the true meaning of the narration. But if you go to the whole narration, it's very long from Tirmidhi 
Sayyidina Anas said that the Prophet left us despondent. Then Jibreel came to him and said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered me to command you to go back to them and not leave them like this. So Sayyidina Nabi, he goes back to them and he, like, he, he reminds them and he placates them and he brings a sense of happiness to them. So we're in an age of hypercynicism. And sometimes that, that relationship with Qur'an has to be like reframed, man. Because maybe we've had like just bad experiences with, with teachers. Like I had a Qur'an teacher, even after I had hafiz and read Qur'an and led taraweeh, he just like prided himself on being like a bully, man. He's like one of those people who feels like, God bless him, like if I intimidate you, that's how you find your true self. But I'm the baby in my household, man. I'm the youngest. Like you should have asked me that. You know, my mom and dad did all their damage to my older brother. And by the time I came around, they had read like what to expect, you know, when expecting. They got like hijaz in that joint, man. You know, they were ready to go. So when I came out, they were like, ah, you know, don't use formula. And you know, the whole nine, he'll love the bottle, won't love his mom. So I got like, I got pampered, man. So for me to have a teacher that was like, anta yani ashad al-hamaqa, like you're the most dumb person. So when I first read to him, he was like, where did you study? I, like, I studied here, I studied here. He was like, really, where have you read? I read here. He's like, you know, I think it's going to take you a month just to get through Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Like, I'm already hours, man. What the heck? He's like, Lala, you know, there's a problem in your beat. I was like, beat, beat. He's like, la, shuft, da bi di mush kwais. Hua beat, keda. Beat, la, mush bida. So he kept telling me, no, no, it's beat, beat. I was like, I'm saying B, man. He's like, no, no, it's B. And then I realized, like, then later on he told me, he's like, I was just doing that to test you. I was trying to see if you could handle it. I was like, honestly, I can't handle it, man. <laughs> and then I met a person, subhanAllah, I finished the basmala in two weeks. And there's this old man, he said, MashaAllah, I've been on basmala for one year. I was like, Shaykh, like, people are not going to, like, learn from you. And he's like, well, that's their fault. Like, if they're not strong enough, that's on them. So he's like a bad experience. Like, he used to insult me. So even though I had studied and learned, it was like I had to like put that experience, except for the good in it, there was cer certainly some good there, but not much in their cycle bin. So I think one of the things we can do to reframe our relationship with Quran is being around people that encourage us to reframe that relationship. And then number two is like taking on a sense of self-responsibility. Sometimes we, we wait for people to heal us, which no doubt we hope we can be healers. But happiness, they say like 70% of it is self-initiated. So just like trying to f dig deep and find the opportunity to heal. And then number three is like asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to show us the wisdom of maybe why we experience bad things. It's hard, man. Sometimes it's tough. I, I told the story here many times. When I went to a Muslim country, <laughs> I was reading the Quran in front of someone's house. Their phone started ringing and people were like, did someone die? Like there's some kind of massive travesty. Like what happened? Like, oh no, he's just reviewing Quran. They're like, that's crazy. The only time people read Quran in front of someone's house is like it's been a massive catastrophe. But Allah says about the Quran something really cool. He says, Like, be happy with Quran. And that will be the last thing. Is like, it's okay for you to have an explorative relationship with Allah's book, there's a treasure waiting for you to uncover. And there are certain things that you'll experience with Qur'an that are just between you and God, man. 
Like it can't be shared, it, it, and that's why the Prophet said in the sound hadith, like the Quran is a book that you could read over and over, and like you'll never get tired of it. But when we've been intimidated and we've been pushed and manipulated and mistreated, sometimes it's hard to have that kind of relationship. So think about what needs to happen, how we can also help you, just like heal, man. Because if I'm not healed, it's hard. It's hard to see. A boxer, if his eyes are swollen, can't box. If the heart is swollen from abuse, it's gonna be hard to see. And that would be the last point is like, don't blame yourself. I see people, they blame themselves because someone mistreated them, man. It's <laughs> not your fault. You know, like, I'm struggling to have a relationship with religion because someone treated me bad. That's a legitimate reason to struggle. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Shafi, inshallah, wa shafi'it, yashfi qulubana wa sudura, inshallah. So after saying, in kullu, lemma jami'a ladayna muhdarun, after death, they're all going to be presented to us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins to lay out like logical arguments for them to look at around them to think about resurrection and to think about life after death. And he does this in two really dramatic ways. Number one is, he mentions what's called al-amkina, things related to the actual spatial, their, their, their spatial reality. And the first place to think about space and where we exist is the earth. So Allah says, وَآيَةُ لَهُمُ الْأَرْضُ مَيْتَةُ أَحْيَيْنَاهَا A dead earth is for them, for their benefit and exclusive for them, a sign. Some ulama, they said the person saying this, or the people saying this, are the same people who said, Ya hasratan ala al-ibad. Are those same people that were like, man, we wish we would have listened to the prophets. And they're saying it now in retrospect, like, wow, if these people would only think the people of Mecca, a sign for them is this. If those people of Mecca would only stop and think, a sign for them is this. The other opinion, of course, this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying it. Alam yaraw, right? Same. We said the word ayah is something which is outside of something, but is an evidence for it. So we say, Dukhan ayatun nar. The smoke is a sign of fire. So here Allah says, For them, the earth, that a dead earth, a parched earth, is a sign. Doesn't say what the sign is for, because it wants the reader to stop and think. It wants those people that are being addressed to stop and think. What is the dead earth a sign of? After it's been resurrected, life after death. <coughs> I want you to stop for a second and notice how usually, this is like a question for you. Like if you look at Surah Fusilat, Fusilat, and you look at verse 53, I think it is, you can see that, and this should help us to think about Islamic education. Muslims are not a monolith. Human beings are definitely not a monolith. Here, here you see something really interesting though. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking to those people who don't believe in Him, when he's talking to those people who don't believe in truth, he uses the material as a sign for his existence and as a sign 
for like the hereafter. The dead earth is a sign for them. The date tree is a sign for them. Grapes are a sign for them. But when he talks to the believers, Allah says, I am a sign for you. SubhanAllah. When Allah subhanahu ta'ala in, in uh, Surah Fusilat, that same verse, if you look at it, verse 53, you see this happen, really interesting. Allah talks about the people of Mecca, He says, سُنُرِيهِمْ آيَاتِنَا فِي الْأَلْفَاقِ وَفِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَتَّى يَتَبَيَّنَ لَهُمْ أَنَّهُ الْحَقِّ We will show them signs, our signs. Yani the signs that prove our existence in the heavens, in the horizons, al-afaq, and in themselves, hatta, and the word hatta means like, you know, until you achieve something. So like, wa'bud rabbaka hatta yatiya like worship your Lord until you die. So like here we're going to show them signs until yatabayyana lahum, it becomes clear, and bayan is something that came out of like a confusing situation. That's why in fatwa, we say the mufti, the job of the mufti is to clarify, like, what's the ruling? I'm confused. I don't know what it is. So we're going to show them these signs until the truth becomes manifest to them. In the same verse, the exact same verse, uh, Allah says to Sayyidina Muhammad, But isn't isn't it sufficient enough for you, O Muhammad, that your Lord is a witness to all things? So the one that doesn't have ma'rifah of Allah, what helps them achieve the ma'rifah of Allah is the material in the dunya. And the person who has ma'rifah of Allah, what helps him understand the dunya and its lack of value and the existence of Allah is their mu'amala with Allah Himself, is their experiences with Allah. So in the Quran, when Allah talks to the prophets, wathkuru, wathkuru, like Sayyidina Musa, remember when I did this for you? Remember when I did this for you? Remember when I did this for you? And the Sahaba, wathkuru id antum qaleel, remember you used to be weak in number, then we strengthened you, da 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 da. So we learn something that with the believer, the sign of Allah is Allah. So they see like ayat of Allah and everything. But for someone, maybe their faith is struggling, or people who don't believe, Allah uses the material to show them His existence. What does that tell you about Islamic education? What does that tell you if I'm going to be deliberate in being an educator? Like, what, what are some of the variables I should keep in mind before I just start like talking? I should what? Yes, sir. I need to know who I'm talking to. I need to know like, I need to be able to make like a healthy assessment. And one of the best ways to do that is like to live amongst the people, like be with the people. What else does it tell you? about like the Qur'an's approach towards Islamic education or religious education or talking about God. 
Yes, sir. There has to be some practicality. Like, it has to be able to like reach people, right? And and there needs to be like a value that they find within that message. Mashallah. And that is sophisticated. You know, when you we talk sometimes to content providers and you ask them like, so who are you giving a speech to? Like teen teenagers, okay? Like, do you know what Fortnite is? It's like, no. Do you know who, like Kyrie Irving is? No. Do you know who like Mac Miller was? It's like, no. It's like, you don't know your audience, man. So what speech are you going to give? Well, I gave a speech to the aunties and uncles yesterday. No, man, that's not going to work. And vice versa. You can't go to like people who are in a different demographic, socially, economically, or whatever, without taking into consideration who you're talking to. So we learned something from Surat Yasin, which is really important. And that's why sometimes when you and I, I knew this as a convert when I was growing up, we used to have this brother, mashallah, Allah reward him. He was an incredible uncle G, alhamdulillah. But literally the khutbah experience for the first four years of my Islam was he would just read from a book the whole Jum'ah, man. And he had those reading glasses on, like these kind of reading glasses, but with the rope, you know? And he would just be like, today we're gonna start from chapter five. Like that was how the khutbah would go. You're like, and then he would be reading it in third person because he's not the author. And literally I was like, wallahi man, like, it's really, really hard. And then we would ask, we're all college students, so we're just a bag of hormones. And we'd ask like brothers and sisters like, how do you feel about the khutbah? And they were just like, we don't even care that he reads, it just it doesn't connect to anything I'm experiencing in my life. Like I really don't mind if someone has to read, I get it, it's hard, we don't have khatibs, we don't have imams, we don't have people who are trained, but like, it's what he's saying is not connecting. Yes, sir? Question related to that, just in terms of, I guess, for people who have to engage with those kinds of khutbas, and like some people, they aren't particularly religious, I'm not going to touch this one. <laughs> Imam Khalid is here. <laughs> oh, glad you could make it. I mean, we have to go We have to go to the Friday prayer because it's fard. Well, I mean, there's a yeah. prayer, right? And I know that the part of it, but to what extent? So, in my humble opinion, I'm going to get in trouble. I believe that the khutbah is not a fard. The salah is a fard. فَسَعُوا إِلَىٰ ذِكْرِ لَا ذِكْرُ of Allah is the salah. Because the next verse says, وَإِذَا قُدِيَ مِنْ صَلَاةِ When you finish prayer. Right? So I, I, I would definitely say, like, if, you, if you're, like, say you're a sister, you go to a place to pray, and, like, the guy is, like, really spewing, like, irresponsible language about women. Or you're a young man, and the language is, like, hurting you. Like, if you're going to preserve your iman by skipping his sermon, by catching the namaz, I don't see a problem with that. As a convert, like the first lecture I ever went to into a major Muslim institution overseas, the guy said, all women in America who are not Muslim were prostitutes. He said this, that's my mom, dude. So I was just sitting there like, man, I shouldn't have came here, man. Like this is not a place for me. But I decided, like I believe also sometimes it's not fair to, it's gonna sound crazy, like react impulsively even though I was really, really upset, but also maybe to like try to have a conversation. So I went to the person, it's a different language, and I just said like, you know, honestly like that's not the case, man. And also it's like, it, like it's just really unfortunate what you just said. Very like, <laughs> responsible. And then he was like, you know what, like I've never been there. I was like, what do you know? He's like, shahid to uh, film 
اسمها Baywatch. So like, he had seen Baywatch his whole life. I was like, Sheikh, like, regardless of how you see Baywatch, like, why didn't you judge the male figures also on Baywatch? But that's a longer conversation. But like, America is not Baywatch. We don't have that kind of weather everywhere. But then like, he apologized at the next class. He's like, you know, I'm sorry I said some things I shouldn't have said, whatever. But like, we got to know people, man. And sometimes I won't, if I feel that I'm hearing things that are hurting my iman, I believe it's now an obligation to protect my iman. So yeah. If not, you can just like knock out. Go make wudu and join the salat. <laughs> but we learn, as we said here, that the Quran, uh, more importantly, takes a sophisticated role in education. And it gives us opportunities to think about the type of people that we deal with. And also, like if we think about now in this country, using certain things as a backdrop maybe to cause people to think about God in different ways. You think about the arts, think about the humanities, think about science, think about so many different things we could use that would be al-ardumayta, a dead earth, to teach people. So Allah subhanahu wa says, وَآيَةُ لَهُمُ الْأَرْضُ أَحْيَيْنَاهَا فَأَخْرَجَنَا وَأَخْرَجَ Wow. وَأَخْرَجَنَا مِنْهَا حَبَّ فَمِنْهُ يَأْكُلُونَ Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after mentioning a dead earth mentions how com coming from it is حَبَّ حَبَّ is the word means a seed حُبَّ is love because love is like a seed you plant in your heart or someone's heart you got to look after it but here حَبَّ is to remind them that just as from the dead earth something came step by step slowly and was brought out and resurrected and then its fruits or its however it blossoms right is is a sign for how it was brought out and how it was cultivated you should think about your life this way that you will be resurrected and what kind of fruit are you going to present in the hereafter what kind of blessings will you bring to the hereafter then he says, وَجَعَلْنَا فِيهَا جَنَّاتٍ مِّن نَخِيلٍ وَأَعْنَابٍ وَفَجَّرْنَا فِيهَا مِّنَ الْعُيُونَ That Allah mentions how we placed in the earth jannat, gardens, min nakhil, palm trees. What comes from a palm tree, of course, it's like a date. وَأَعْنَاب and grapes. وَفَجَّرْنَا فِيهَا مِّنَ الْعُيُونَ And in the earth you find springs rushing. Uh, Al-Razi says something interesting about this that um, I think is kind of cool. And that is, he said like, when Allah talks about the dates, He actually mentions the date palm. He doesn't mention dates. وَجَعَلْنَا فِيهَا جَنَّاتٍ مِنْ تَمْرٍ أَوْ مِنْ نَخِيلٍ Then he, when he mentions grapes, he mentions grapes. He doesn't mention like the vines. So it's like the opposite. He mentions the date palm tree, doesn't mention the dates. He mentions the grapes, doesn't mention the grapevine. And he has a theory about this because they say about Razi's tafsir, it has everything but tafsir, mashallah. He was like a biologist. He was into chemistry. He was like, he was all over the place, mashallah. He said because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will always mention to people what brings them explicit benefit. So the date palm is something Ibn Hajar, uh, he, he notes in Fathul Bari when the Prophet said that the believer is like a tree and who knows what that tree is. So like tell me what that tree is. 
and people start to argue. And then Abdullah bin Omar was a very small child. He said, you know, like I knew it was a date palm tree, but I was shy to say it because all the ammos and stuff were there. So I didn't say anything. But then the Prophet said, it's a date tree. Ibn Hajr said the believer is like a date tree because the date tree for the, the Bedouins is that one palm, that one tree that they used everything from it. Like for the roofs of their homes, for their sajada, they would use the bark, the leaves, everything. So the believer is like that in society because every aspect of the believer has the potential to bring benefit. So here he mentions min nakhilin because immediately they know like that's something that we benefit from. So you think about advertising, you think about messaging. Wa'anab and grapes because the Arabs used to say the sweetest thing we have are grapes. They loved grapes and they were famous for drinking a lot of wine. There's a lot of poems about it. But he says here the point is like the Qur'an is taken into consideration what, what people know to be of immediate value. So let me ask you a question. If you had to use something in New York City to remind people of life after death, what would it be? And if you have to mention two things which brought immediate value to them that may cause them to think about the, their relationship with God or the existence of God, what would it be? Like you might say, the Brooklyn Bridge is like Surat al-Mustaqeen. You know, whatever. I don't know how you're going to do it. I'm not the one being tested. I get to ask the questions, mashallah. <laughs> so there's three things I want us to think about quickly because we don't have a lot of time today. Number one is, what, what's one backdrop in New York City right now that we could use as the dead earth was used to remind people of resurrection, logically, to make that connection? Then if we were to think of two things, like the opposite would be the Knicks, right? Two things that would immediately make them appreciate God's blessing, right? Yes, right? So the opposite would be the Knicks, not the Celtics. Two blessings, what would they be? We can just like do it together. So the first would be, what's something that we could like mention that may serve as a metaphor or an analogy for life after death? Statue of Liberty? Why? Why do you say that? Yeah, ultimate liberation. Okay. MashaAllah. So, I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Ala. 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 So she's, she's saying, Statue of Liberty reminds you of being emancipated. Ultimate, ultimate emancipation will happen. Inshallah. In the hereafter, right? Awesome. What else? You want to build on anything else? Or? She's like, I got this. <laughs> yes, sir. Mashallah, Central Park. Yes, sir. Huh? A packed subway. Why? That's interesting. Yeah, waiting on the day of judgment or... Okay, nice. Yes? Uh, the subway in general comes and goes when you least expect it. It's like death comes and goes when you least expect it. Spell. <laughs> <laughs> the R-line, man, is... It's like talking to a Comcast person on the phone. It's brutal punishment. MashaAllah, who else? That's really good. 
then what would be two things that you may invoke to like make them think of Allah's blessing? So I would say the promenade, like when you see the view, it's like really powerful, like it really grabs you. So I'll, I'll give you a hint, that's one. Yes, sir. Huh? Okay, the rain, it's nice. But try to make it like something New York Central, like it rains everywhere. I got you. Not everywhere. Yeah, but, but most places. <laughs> like the sheer diversity within just a block, like even in the subway car, there's probably more people of different backgrounds in there than some people meet in their lives in other parts of the world. Yeah, so rain, diversity, it's an incredible city. It's like one block to another, you run into like a different community. That's true. What else? So, I get it. People are like, uh-oh, don't call on me. I'm not going to call on you, inshallah. But that's, that's like a way we should be reading the Qur'an. That's a way that we should be studying the seerah. You know, and, and not, not, and sometimes I don't like how we say these things are done to show that we don't know. Now look how fast you guys answered. Right? It's not necessarily for that reason. It's, it's to encourage us to engage and find that connection. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that a sign for them is the dead earth which we brought back to life and then the seed came from it which reminds us of resurrection. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, uh, He mentions that from the earth comes date palms and grapes and springs. And that's something incredible, subhanAllah. All of that so they can eat from its thamar. And here thamar, like the fruits, whatever is edible from those things that have been mentioned, dates, and the grapes, and the springs. But if you notice something interesting happens in the verse that teaches us about qada and qadr. لِيَأْكُلُوا مِنْ ثَمَرِهِ وَمَا عَمِلَتُ أَيْدِيهِمْ أَفَلَا يَشْكُرُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, so that they can eat. The lamb is called lamu ta'lili, like this was all done so that they can eat from its fruit and that they can eat مَا عَمِلَتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ from the fruit of their, their hands. So even though Allah mentions, I'm causing all these things to happen, why would He mention work? He's like, I did all this. Blah, 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 blah. But then right in the middle, there's like this clause. So they can eat from the things that we caused and from the fruits of their labor. Why suddenly is that there? Yes, sir. Because work is essential to Islam. Like we work for our Iman, we work. Um, to feed ourselves, work is an uh, important part of Islam. Exactly, mashallah. The entire concept of free will is in that one word, in that one phrase. Like people always ask, like, so if God knows, why do we have to work? Because you got to work. Allah tells you to work. But even though all these blessings have been mentioned and the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been invoked and described, we're still encouraged and commanded to do what? To put forth effort. 
So that's why they say the proper faith in God's decree is to believe in the decree and to work hard. That's it. Which ayat is this been? Uh, I think 37. Or, thir yeah, 35. Also, there's something really cool that when the Qur'an suddenly does like a parenthetical sentence or interjects something out of nowhere, it's either to say like this is something really bad or to say that this is something really commendable. So we also see here the importance of like working, like the importance of like earning a livelihood. Sometimes people come to me and they're like, man, I hate my life. I just want to like go and study Islam. What do you do? I may have like five kids, alhamdulillah. I got all of them in private schools. I hate your life, alhamdulillah, man. Allah has blessed you. Like, it's a great thing, man. That's why Imam Ibn al-Askandri in al-Hikam, he said, something very powerful about this the idea of like emergent religiosity and confusing that with like turning away from responsibility he said he said you wanting to peel away everything that God has provided you be careful of shunning those things from a hidden desire meaning like whatever Allah has given you as a, in the material world and you're successful in that and you're doing great with that and you're not doing anything wrong to flee from that will be to flee from what God gave you but instead embrace what God has given you the talent to do so use the word tajrid like don't peel that from yourself because that's what you're good at the Prophet said everyone will find it easy what they were created for and I've seen that like sometimes people use religiosity as an excuse to flee from responsibility so when that brother told me, like, I'm going to quit my job and go study the deen, he said, because I feel like I'm such a bad Muslim. And he's like 50, subhanAllah. God bless him for his passion. I said, so who's going to feed your kids? He's like, I, I didn't think about that yet. I was like, what are you talking about, man? Like, who's going to feed your children? Who's going to take care of your family? Have you consulted your wife? He was like, I, yeah, I got to think this through a little better. I was like, yeah, you probably want to think this through. And then I said, is there a way to balance this? Like, can't you like study on the weekends? Can't you take online courses? Like, can't you sit with somebody? Like, you don't have to leave everything that Allah has given you. Then I said, how much do you donate to your local nonprofit? So mashallah, it was, it was close to six figures. So I said, like, do you think if suddenly that donation is gone, that there may be an impact felt in the community of the people that are teaching and are already out there? So your pulling back in the name of religion may do more harm to the religion than help the religion. And that's what Ibn al-Ta'ala meant. Like, it may mask like a subtle form of selfishness, man. Also, there were scholars, you know, who wrote 40 hadith on the virtues of working. Classical times. And, and at the end of Surat uh, Muzammil, we learned something like, the importance of people who are able to gift patronage to community. Like, man, how much money did we raise for Rohingya this year, bro? We raised a million dollars for people in Myanmar. Man. Like, imagine, subhanAllah, like, the impact of that on people. There was one brother who was so motivated, motivated, he told me, like, he just wrote 50 grand, like a 50 grand check, man. He was, like, so moved. Imagine if all those people had stopped doing what they do in the name of like whatever 
So at the end of Shota Muzammil Allah, after talking about people who fight for the cause of God, they say, وَبْتَغُونَ مِنْ فَضْلِ Those who seek the blessing of Allah. Imam al-Razi said, those who seek the blessing of Allah is talking about the people in the community who work and support the community. And he said, Allah likens them to those who are actually physically fighting because through their support, through their patronage, this forms a defense for the community. So I can never like, question what you're good at as far as your work. And the third is that there are a large number of hadith of the Prophet that support the rights of workers. So as a policy, one of the things we should be thinking about 2018 and beyond is strengthening unions in this country. Somebody who works for a union makes 28% more than someone who doesn't. And understand that the rights of workers is something that we should think about as a Muslim community. And the last, and this was for last week, does anyone know the story of Jeffrey Owens? The Cosby guy? Like, subhanAllah, man, actually like, touched me because I grew up watching Cosby on Thursday nights. Tells you how old I am. Not three runs. <laughs> and you know, there was this, this man who, he lives in New Jersey. May Allah forgive him for that. Sorry, Khalid. He lives in New Jersey. And like, he was working at a Whole Foods and somebody saw him. And of course, in this age, an age where value and what you have value is placed on like how much material possessions you have. Somebody started filming him and like making fun of him why he was working at Whole Foods, man. And they put it online and then like he became ridiculed. But then subhanAllah, God bless whoever, there were people that have good hearts and they were like, what the heck is wrong with working Whole Foods, man? Like what's wrong with somebody who goes out and works? <laughs> And, and I wrote something about this on my Instagram page. It was very interesting that a non-Muslim brother, he put a comment. He was like, you know, this person was my acting coach in New York City. And he was like one of the best acting coaches and the nicest person I've ever met in my life. But we've reached a state now with an unethical form of capitalism, man, where we even make fun of people who work. Allah says, Amirat him. They work. So we respect, we learn something that we, were, we should respect people, regardless of what type of work they do, that they work. We know that the janitor of the Prophet ﷺ, when she died, she, she had epilepsy. And the Prophet ﷺ heard about her death. He went to her qabr and prayed janazah on her grave, man. And he was angry, like, why didn't you tell me that she died? Even though she's like from the lower economic kind of section of his community like he has tremendous like respect for her because of her dedication and the work that she did and once a person came to say and he complained about his labor like the hard labor that he had to do and he looked at his hands and there were like the, the, the signs of work and the prophet said to him the fire will never touch hands that look like this and then Allah says afara yashkurun and we, we know that the word thankfulness, it has a bigger meaning. The Arabs traditionally, like in ancient Arabic, the word shukr didn't mean thankfulness. The word shukr was applied to a fat camel. So he used to say, anaqa shakira. And the idea was that 
the owner was so benevolent to that camel that you could see it's his benevolence or her benevolence in the weight of the camel. It was well fed. So shukr is linked to something which recognizes an outward act of benevolence. So thankfulness to God is being able to live a life that shows I've been touched by His grace. That I've been impacted by the ihsan of Allah. So Allah says, أَفَلَا يَشْكُرُونَ And that's why Allah, when He talks about shukr, He, he uses it in a comprehensive way. He, he calls thankfulness an, an act that involves the heart, the limbs, and the mind. It's not just like, thank you. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, سُبْحَانَ الَّذِي خَلَقَ الْأَزْوَاجَ كُلَّهَا مِمَّا تُنْبِتُ الْأَرْضِ وَمِنْ أَنفُسِهِمْ وَمِمَّا لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Subhana, hallowed be the name of the one who created everything in pairs, which comes from the earth and in themselves, people of Mecca, human beings in general, and from those things that they don't know. We'll just talk about one thing, and that is, well, two things and we'll finish. Number one is like, if there's only one thing you can do in a day, like if you missed all your prayers, man, and you're just like having one of those spiritual train wrecks, we all do that, man. Just like, man, I'm just like shot. Like today is a really bad day. Just say SubhanAllah, man. You know, the Prophet said, SubhanAllah, he tamla ul mizan. Like the Prophet said, when you say SubhanAllah, you feel your scales. Like everybody say it, SubhanAllah. It's not even hard, man. He said, Like saying, SubhanAllah, fills everything in the heavens. The second thing is the meaning, and this is where we're going to stop, inshaAllah. What do you call swimming in Arabic? Sibaha. Sibaha is swimming. The masbah is where you go and swim. Why do we say, SubhanAllah? Because when, when people, in the language, when people try to swim, because if you think about it, like, I'll make fun of my own family. My, my mother's family is from like southern Kansas, um, northern Oklahoma. These people, like the way they teach you how to swim, if you heard the story, is you just get thrown in the, and that's how it is. So, subhanAllah, so by the time I was nine, I knew how to fish, I knew how to shoot a gun, and my family were still Democrats. And I was thrown in a pond. SubhanAllah. Yes. So basically, it's like, if you don't know how to swim, you're going to die. They're not going to let you die, right? But it's like, you know, they try to scare you. But the point is, when I was doing that, I remember I was like, I was trying to, so my grandfather was saying, like, grab something. Like, when you swim, try to grab. I'm like, there's nothing to grab. He's like, no, grab the water. Right? And kick the water. Right? So you're trying to find something material to hold on to. Eventually, when you figure out you can hold on to the water and like in a certain you can you learn how to swim. So the idea is that when you say subhanallah, your mind has tried to find anything material that's like God and it can't. So your mind is swimming. And it can't find anything that's similar to God. So the only thing to say is what? Subhanallah. So as though and we'll stop here, the Quran does something else that we'll talk about next week. It doesn't only rebuke people, it also models good behavior. It shares best practices. Like sometimes in the age of hypersynthesism, it's easy just to like go in and feel accomplished. What about redemption and rebuilding? 
What about redemption and rebuilding? So after, you know, rebuking these people for being mushrikeen and denying God and denying prophets, it's as if, Ar-Razi said this very beautifully, like after everything I just mentioned, the only thing someone of any type of intellect should say is what? Subhanalladhi khalaq al-azwaja kullaha. So it also models good behavior. We're going to stop here inshallah for wudu. And then we're going to pray and then I think we need to move out as quickly as we can.